Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is New York Times bestselling writer Deanna Rayburn. Deanna's latest novel, An Impossible Imposter, is the latest in the Veronica Speedwell mystery series. Deanna, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Sure. Well, if someone hasn't yet heard about your latest Veronica Speedwell novel, An Impossible Imposter, how would you describe the novel? Well, the entire Veronica Speedwell series is pretty much just a Victorian romp. Uh, if you like mystery and you don't like a ton of blood and you like, you know, sort of a, an arch sense of humor, this is the series for you. Um, I have a, a, a very intrepid butterfly hunting protagonist by the name of Veronica Speedwell, and she ends up over the course of these books, um, stumbling over dead bodies, you know, as you do. Um, and she has kind of a, a hunky sidekick who's a natural historian, um, who she, you know, unfortunately bullies into helping her solve mysteries because he's always in some sort of physical peril, bless his heart. And do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to write the very first Veronica Speedwell novel? Well, you know, I had already written a Victorian series for another publisher. And when I was making the move over to Penguin Random House um, and going to be writing for the Berkeley imprint, I didn't really want to leave that time period because there were other things that I wanted to do with it. And I had always been really fascinated by Victorian female explorers. Um, you know, when I when I got my history degree, we didn't talk a ton about what women were getting up to. And so I just kind of went off on my own and uh, did my own reading. And uh, the great thing about Victorians is that they left a written record of basically everything that they did. And if they were traveling, they wrote letters back home. They kept journals. They gave lectures uh, when they when they got back. Uh, off of their voyages. And so there's all this wonderful archival material to go through. And one of the people I was most fascinated by was a female explorer by the name of Margaret Fountain, who was a lepidopterist. She was a butterfly hunter. And that was actually, you know, at a time when it was fairly scandalous for a woman to be earning her own money if she was in any way trying to be genteel. Butterfly hunting was a way that you could have an occupation that was fairly ladylike. Um, you you weren't completely beyond the pale socially if you were a butterfly hunter because, you know, you weren't really getting your hands dirty. It's not like they're bloody. Uh, you know, it's a fairly tidy <laughs> occupation. But you could make a really good living doing it. And Margaret did manage to make a good living for herself. She traveled all over the world. Uh, she, you know, provided butterflies for collectors. Uh, all across the globe. And the interesting thing about Margaret is that she had relationships that you don't think of Victorian women as typically having. She had physical relationships that were outside the bounds of marriage. She had interracial relationships. And she wrote about them in the same journals that she wrote about her butterfly collecting. So when you go <laughs> to read what Margaret was getting up to, she like just kind of slyly slips in there, you know, this, this uh, kind of saucy interlude at the same time, then she goes on to describe what butterfly she was looking for. And so it makes for really, really fascinating reading. Um, her journals have kind of been condensed down and published in two different volumes. And I just thought she was such an interesting woman because everything you think you know about Victorian women is this really tiny little stereotype that's mostly confined to 
middle-class women. The really uh, upper-class women, the women who were out there earning a living, the lower-class women were all doing things a little bit different than this, you know, kind of stereotypical picture that we have. And so I thought that would be just a really fun inspiration for a character. So that was the kind of the genesis for uh, Veronica Speedwell. And then, you know, because these are mysteries and you need to have crime, uh, there's there's usually uh, a dead body lying around somewhere. Sometimes it's a it's a a jewel theft, but uh, <laughs> you know there there can be other puzzles as well. But I I do like a good dead body uh, thrown into a book. So usually that's what Veronica's investigating. So that's that's great. So I'm curious, do you have you done a lot of research about that era in terms of butterfly hunting and lep- lepidoptery? I'm not sure how to say that. Um, you did perfect. It is okay. lepidoptery. <laughs> <laughs> um, have, have you done research about that in preparation for writing these these novels? Oh yeah. Um, you know, I I started researching Victorian female explorers right after I got out of college, which which is a very very long time ago, <laughs> and um, so I've I've slowly just kind of built up this library uh, of natural historians and travelers and and especially the women what they were getting up to, and when I realized I was going to be focusing on uh, a butterfly hunter, I kind of branched out into Aurelian memoirs. Um, Aurelian is is this lovely word that they they used to refer to all things butterfly at the beginning of of kind of more formal naturalized uh, natural history. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that I actually experimented with is I raised my own butterflies. Uh, you can buy these kits that are made for kids, and they'll oh, send wow. you they'll send you a chrysalis <laughs> and uh, a couple of them, and they send you the little habitat. And I made the mistake of raising them in the kitchen um, because it turns out butterflies really smell bad. Um, so I wasn't super popular with the rest <laughs> of the family for the time that it took the butterflies to to emerge. But I, I raised painted ladies and then I set them free outside. And it was just, it was this wonderful um, experience to kind of watch their their life cycle. And, you know, one of the the best compliments I've gotten is, is from a natural historian who specializes in um, entomology who said, yeah, you've nailed it. You got it right. The butterfly stuff is all good. And I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So yeah. so what was your initial writing journey that led you to writing and getting your first novel published? You know, I don't ever remember a time when I wasn't storytelling in some way. I mean, I, I distinctly recall being super excited when I learned how to print because I could get the stories <laughs> out of my head and onto my big chief tablet, because that was the, that was, you know, I was a child of the seventies and that was the, that was the writing tablet that everybody had. And I was just super excited because then I had a, I had a medium for telling my stories. And then when I went to college, I, I double majored in English and history because I, I figured out that I wanted to write and I wanted to write historical fiction. And I also got my teaching certificate because I thought, you know, eating would be a nice thing to do while I was waiting to get published. Um, And after that first year of teaching, I kind of sat down and in six weeks, I wrote my first novel and it was 120,000 words, which is a hideous amount of work in six weeks. Um, And the book was not good, but the book had the book had potential. And I sent it in over the the transom to um, a publisher, and and I heard back weeks and weeks and weeks later from the the editor giving me every reason he wasn't going to publish this book. 
Um, but there was one line in his letter, which is, but I think your writing is absolutely wonderful. And I thought, okay, I'm 23. This is a professional editor who said my writing is wonderful. This is going to happen for me someday. Well, it, it ended up taking another 14 years uh, to happen. I didn't, I didn't get a, uh, a proper book deal uh, for another 14 years. I wrote probably seven or eight really bad novels in that period of time. I got an agent, um, which was kind of a miracle. Um, and she actually gave me a phenomenal piece of advice. I had been kind of all over the map with the types of novels I was trying to write. Mm-hmm. And we weren't, we weren't getting them sold anywhere. And finally, you know, out of this, this wonderful frustration, she very kindly said, I think you need to stop writing. She said, for a year, you need to just not write because you don't know who you are as a writer yet. All I want you to do is read because the best way to figure out who you are as a writer is to know who you are as a reader. And then she hung up the phone and I thought, okay, I'm never going to speak to this woman again. Um, Because I figured she was just completely brushing me off. And, you know, I I was fairly devastated, but I took her advice. I went off and for a year I just read. Um, And I only read things that I loved. And after 12 months, I looked around and I had this big old stack of books that I'd read. And I, I realized they all had a mystery structure. They all had a female protagonist. They all had a historical setting. They all had a British sense of, and I went, wait a minute, this is a blueprint. I had a blueprint for the book I needed to write. And it took me another two years to write a novel that, that kind of fit those parameters. But when I was finished, you know, at this point, it's been three years since I've talked to my agent. Um, I sent her the manuscript, kind of expecting that she was just going to politely say, oh, this was nice, dear. Um, Instead, she picked up the phone a week later and said, this is it. You did it. Um, She said, this is is the book we're going to sell. And it took her two years to place it. But when we did sell it, we sold it in a three-book deal, and I've, I've been published ever since. So... You know, it was a it was a kind of a long, torturous journey to get there, but um, I did get there in the end. Thank heaven. Um, you know, I I, I kind of did my my own uh, terrifying MFA the hard way by uh, writing all of these really bad novels. But you know, I th- I think you learn just as much from the uh, the books that are bad as you do the books that are good. Maybe more. <laughs> you know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. 
Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. So, so I mean, 14 years, I mean, that's a long time. What what kept you going and kept you riding for for so many years of rejection? Well, you know, two different things. First of all, um, I'm stubborn as hell. Um, but I, I am at heart a storyteller. And, you know, a storyteller makes up stories whether anybody's listening or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the other thing that really kept me going is the fact that um, I am enormously privileged to have an amazing husband. And, you know, when when we had our daughter, I, I'd been teaching for about three years and I, I wanted to stay home and write. And he thought that was a great idea. And as every year would go by and I wasn't getting published and I wasn't getting, you know, I wasn't bringing anything in. I, I just, I would feel so guilty when August would roll around and everybody's going back to school and I'm not, I don't have a teaching contract. I'm not, you know, I'm not contributing aside from the fact that I'm making a huge contribution in staying home with our daughter. Right. And every year I would say, Oh God, Oh God, you know, am I, am I making mistakes? Should I, should I be working? And every single year that man said to me, you, you have a job, you're a writer. They just don't know it yet. And so I, I stuck with it. And every single year I, we would have this exact conversation and that's, you, you really cannot, I think, overestimate how much, um, it, it will enhance your your career and your life to have a partner who fully believes in you and is able to to fully support what you're doing. And, you know, I mean, financially it was tight, uh, <clears throat> but, you know, since then we've been able, I, I've been successful enough that he has now been able to go and open his own business um, because I've been able to kind of take the mantle, uh, you know, <laughs> off of his shoulders for a little while and let him take risks um, so we've kind of tag teamed for each other that way, which is, has been a really, really lovely thing. That's great. Well, yeah, he's good it, people. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like he's a keeper. Um, you know, it's it, been 31 years at this yeah. point, Jeff, I've got so much invested in this man. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, in terms of, in terms of fiction, uh, what do you think you were learning along the way as you were writing those novels that didn't end up selling? You know, I think I learned a lot about my own voice. And I think that was the point my agent was trying to make is you have to be confident in your own voice and you have to, you have to know who you are as a writer. You have to play to your strengths. There are things that I do very well as a writer, and there are things that I am not as good at as a writer. And it's figuring out what those things are and playing to your strengths that will find you an audience because whatever you're writing, there's going to be somebody who wants to read that. Um, and it may not be a huge commercial audience. It may be, you know, kind of a small niche audience and that's fine too, depending on what your goals are. Um, but you know, for me, it was, it was really kind of zeroing in on what I did well. And then once I kind of got that foundation, it's been much easier than to push and grow and expand those boundaries and learn how to do other things better because I've, I've got this, this rootedness and this centeredness in what I know I can do. 
So what was your writing process when you were working on An Impossible Imposter? And I'm curious, is it kind of similar for you novel to novel? Are you someone who outlines the novel extensively before you begin writing? Or do you have kind of a basic idea and premise and just dive into the narrative? How does that work for you? Yeah, you know, I mean, I look at these people who plot everything out religiously and I just I marvel at them because that is so <laughs> not my way. Um I have to, you know, my my contracts are structured where I have to um submit a synopsis, a proposal for everything I'm going to do and it's like three or four pages and oh my god how I resent writing this. Like I literally have to google how to write a synopsis <laughs> before I start each one because I just get so in my own head about it. But I I will rough out what the problem is and you know, luckily because I've got at this point, like I've lost track. I think it's like 16 or 17 novels that I've that I've got in print. Um, because I have a track record and because my editors know that I will finish what I start, I'm allowed a fair bit of leeway. Um, if I can give them a storyline that works, they know there's a good chunk of that that's not going to make it into the book. That was just so I could give them something that they can, you know, kind of hang a hat on and say, all right, we have a we have a starting place. There are always going to be some things that I discover during research or during playing with the characters or, you know, just kind of that endless what if game that you play with yourself <laughs> when you're walking, you know, walking the dog or washing the dishes or whatever and, and your mind starts to wander. Um, they know that I'm going to go off piste at some point um, and, and they're usually perfectly fine with it. Uh, and I will have a general overview of what the book is going to look like. Um, I generally know who the murderer is, although the one I'm I'm writing right now, I've literally completely changed who the murderer was <laughs> um, right when I started the book. I was like, no, no, I, I, I think I like a different killer. Um, so sometimes I, I will do that. But um, and sometimes I, I find that I'm overthinking it and I need, I need to strip some things out and simplify a few things. Um, but I have a I have a generally pretty good idea of where it's going to go. Like I will know. A and I will know D and F and Q and X and Z, but I don't know all the other points in between. And most of those points will stay the same. Um, there's there's always room for for tinkering, but you know I have a I have a general guideline of where I'm going, but it's it's definitely not like you know perfectly navigated out for me. Right. Well, you mentioned this novel that you're working on now. Is that another Veronica Speedwell novel? It is. This is actually um, Veronica Speedwell number eight that I'm writing right now. And then um, I have, I'm literally doing copy edits today on my first contemporary, which is coming out in September. That's great. Well, what writing advice would you offer for those who are working on their own stories and novels? You know, I think the 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 best writing advice I can possibly give people is to not put too much stock in writing advice um, because there's so much bad writing <laughs> advice out there. You know, the thing is, writing is so idiosyncratic. You've got to figure out what works for you. And if I ever, th you know, this is the caveat that I always give when I'm doing um, like panel discussions and workshops. If there's anything that I say that works for somebody, oh my God, grab it steal it, use it for yourself. That's fantastic. But if it doesn't click with you, 
oh my God, that's fine. Then it's just not for you. And that's a hundred percent. Okay. You're going to find somebody else who will give you um, a, a tip or a trick or a hack that works for you. Not everything works for everybody. And, you know, I, I remember kind of early on picking up two different um, kind of how to write a novel books. And one of them was, was uh, discussing, you know, how this incredibly successful author is, is a complete pantser. Like they never know from day to day what's going to happen in this book. They'll write themselves into big, long meandering storylines and have to write their way back out again. And then the other book I picked up was by a writer who does hundred page outlines and just to every little tiny minute point they know before they go in. And I thought, okay, if both of these people are massively successful, <laughs> you know, New York Times bestselling authors, and they are this far apart, that means there is no one truth. It's your truth. And your truth is great. And whatever that happens to be is, is just as valid and just as wonderful and just as authentic as anybody else's truth. Whatever gets the words on the page, man. That's great. Well, what novels have you read recently that you enjoyed? Well, I will tell you, I am really looking forward. I, I haven't actually gotten to read it yet. I, I'm I'm kind of sitting here with bated breath waiting for it to drop. And that is um, Jesse Q. Sutanto's Four Aunties in a Wedding. It is the follow-up to last year's Dial A for Aunties, which um, the the book was absolutely hilarious. It was a contemporary cozy mystery about this huge Singaporean Indonesian family and what happens when the niece of the family goes on a blind date and her blind date dies. And like <laughs> everybody has to deal with a dead body. So it it was absolutely hilarious. I think Netflix was making a series or a film out of it. So I cannot wait for the follow-up on that. I'm super excited. And then I'm about to dive into um, Reckless Girls by Rachel Hawkins, who is, you know, kind of an auto-buy must-read for me. That's great. Well, where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and your novels? Well, um, they can find me at my website, DeannaRayburn.com. Um, I am on Instagram sporadically, but I'm on Twitter just about every day. I, I, am, I am in love with the Twitter, so uh, you can usually find me there. That's great. Well, again, we've been speaking with New York Times bestselling writer Deanna Rayburn. Deanna's latest novel, An Impossible Imposter, is on sale now. So go buy a copy. And Deanna, thanks for doing this interview. Oh, absolutely. My, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Great. Thanks. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.